0: Hey everybody, this is Adam Todd Brown, co-host of the Pretty Scary Podcast, among others, welcoming you to an all-new podcast from the makers of Pretty Scary. It's called True Crime Sucks, and you're about to listen to it right now. But first, you're going to want to listen to what I'm about to tell you, whether you're listening as a subscriber to the Unpops Network, in which case, thank you, or if you're just listening in the free feed, of one of the other network shows in which case also thank you first a heads up for everybody that this first episode the one with me and cindy Aravina covering the documentary there's something wrong with aunt diane it's a heavy one i mean most of what we cover will be pretty heavy in some respects this is a true crime podcast after all that said most episodes likely will not involve both hosts audibly crying near the end But this one sure does, you lucky ducks. For subscribers, I just wanted to let you know, in case you didn't notice, there are three episodes of True Crime Sucks available for you to listen to right now. There's this one, obviously, and then episode two, which covers the documentary The Act of Killing with special guest Katrina Davis, and episode three, which covers the groundbreaking 1992 documentary My Brother's Keeper with the always wonderful Jack Kelly. One of the things we're going to do with this podcast is upload new episodes a week early for subscribers. But hey, by that math, there must be two episodes available for free to the public right now, yeah? You're darn tootin' there are. If you're listening to this for free and you want to hear more after, just point your way to unpops.co slash sucks and you'll find the free public feed. Hell, I'll even link to it in the show description. And there you will find a second episode waiting for you. But again, if you want to hear that third episode right now too, instead of waiting a week, you can subscribe at patreon.com unpops, unpopsnetwork.supercast.com, or click on the access exclusive content button on the public feed, and you can sign up for early and bonus episodes on Acast. That's new. And one last thing. If you want to know what documentaries we'll be covering in the future so you can watch them ahead of time, follow the show on Instagram at True Crime Sucks. And also, I think that's all I wanted to tell you. Thanks for listening. I hope you like the new show. And as always, we love you. Let's get to the pod. Welcome to True Crime Sucks. A podcast about the best and worst of true crime TV and documentaries with your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Sucks, a podcast about the best and worst of true crime TV and documentaries. I'm your host adam todd brown joining me as co-host for the inaugural episode of this podcast you know her you love her my pretty scary co-host cindy aravina
1: boo i mean wait what's my line again (laughs) hi
0: (laughs) yeah i don't know what we yell at the beginning of this maybe i say welcome to true crime sucks and whoever's co-hosting with me just yells no you suck Know if That's wanna, a good one. I don't know if I want to start the podcast every time with someone telling me I suck. but
1: Or they can just go, it sucks, bleh, and they throw up. Yeah, they could vomit. Yeah.
0: Like actual vomit. That'll be the TikTok clip every week. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> uh, Speaking of exciting, this is a new podcast from the makers of Pretty Scary. That would be us. Yeah. There's a trailer out there where I kind of explain the premise, but if you haven't heard that, despite the title, this isn't going to just be us shitting on true crime and making people feel bad for watching true crime TV and true crime documentaries. I watch all that shit myself and I go the extra mile and record a podcast about it. So clearly that's not going to be the entire premise of this going to be honest, I just kind of like the name. It's a catchy title. I like that a lot.
1: And you know what? A lot of true crime
0: does suck. That's the other thing. Crime sucks. Like, yeah. Again, I don't intend to make people feel bad for watching true crime, but watching true crime shouldn't make you feel good.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: If you're hosting a true crime podcast and like throwing confetti in the air in your promo pictures on your Patreon... Stop it. These are people who died. Almost everything we're going to talk about on this entire podcast is going to be people who died. It is not cause for celebration. You should not have a top 10 favorite serial killers. That's all a problem. I'm sorry. It's 2023. We know better now.
1: It is. It is. That's a very 2013 activity. Very much so. To have a top 10. Yeah.
0: Especially in the Me Too era. Come on. Like, you can't be up in arms about violence against women and have a favorite serial killer. Like, those two things do not go hand in hand. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, it's it doesn't breed good anything. It's sick. I don't know. It's sick. Like, we can obviously talk about it, but a lot of times the victims don't get as much airplay as the killers, and it, that's the part that really gets me. And that's
0: a big part of why I wanted to do this particular podcast because something I've learned about myself over the years is I don't want to necessarily tell true crime stories. I'm not trying to be an internet sleuth. I have other podcasts to host. This isn't my entire gig, (laughs) but I do care about how these stories are told. And I've been watching true crime documentaries since I was a kid. And here's the thing, I'm old so that means I've been watching these things since like the mid 80s. So I have some things to say about true crime documentaries. And along those same lines when, you know, you hear the title true crime sucks. Again, not only are we not just going to be like exclusively bashing true crime. These first four or five episodes are all about stone cold classics like found Foundational, groundbreaking, true crime documentaries. Or in the case of this one, maybe not foundational or groundbreaking, but it's one of my favorites. And I think it's the perfect documentary to start with because this is kind of how true crime should make you feel. Like, you're not going to come out the other end of the documentary, there's something wrong with Aunt Diane, feeling anything good at all. It is just... Tragic.
1: So freaking sad.
0: Had you seen this before?
1: Never. No, I'd heard of it. I'd heard it was good. (laughs) I kind of wish that I knew that it was the level of sad it was going to be because I probably would have picked not right before bedtime to watch it. I definitely needed a a lot of palate cleansers after this one.
0: Yeah, this isn't sleepy time stuff at all. I would argue it's one of the weirder true crime documentaries because. It's almost more about grief than anything else. Like there's a hundred. There's a family that thinks it's trying to solve a mystery, but they're really not. They're just more not willing to admit or not ready to admit what actually happened, which is that Diane Schuler? Got drunk and got behind the wheel and killed a bunch of people.
1: It's not a who done it. It's not a a case of mixed up records. It really is, unfortunately, pretty. Uh, it it it's really really sad and it's um. There's no twist. That's the thing. There's absolutely no twist.
0: Not really. But I think that there is no twist. Is kind of the twist. Like yeah. Oh Yeah, because for a lot of it, you're kind of in not so much in denial with the family, but there's a little hope there that like, okay, maybe they're going to be on to something and Mm -hmm. maybe this isn't all it seems, but eh, not really.
1: No, it leaves you with way more questions than it starts with way more.
0: Yeah. And they even the police in this case, like there's moments of this incident that they just don't know what happened like there's Mm. parts where she goes from one part of the city to another part and they have no idea how she got there it's wild so like we said we're covering there's something wrong with aunt diane it's a 2011 documentary it's on hbo you can still watch it there it's from filmmaker liz garbus who has made some bangers in her day the fourth estate which is about the russia investigation Mm. A dangerous son have you ever seen a dangerous
1: son? No, I haven't seen any of these.
0: A dangerous son is excruciating. It's about parents dealing with like problem children, but like Ugh. but like Johnny's murder problem gonna kill his sister someday problem Fuck. children.
1: And like Macaulay Culkin and the Good Son.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like there's one kid in that where his mom calls to get him psychiatric treatment and finds out that there are something like 300 total psychiatric beds in the state of Washington for kids in the entire <sighs> state. Nuts. Is uh, that a
1: lot or a little?
0: That's That's very few. <laughs> that's way... <laughs> way Fuck. too few. How
1: many murdered children are there? I See, one like that I cannot watch as a person that works with kids, I'm like, I don't need to know any of this. I yeah, really don't.
0: <laughs> exactly. So yeah, she's made some pretty noteworthy stuff. This is probably my favorite of everything that Liz Garbus has made. Premiered on HBO July 25th, 2011, and it Covers an incident that has come to be known as the 2009 Taconic State Parkway crash. And oof. The oh details are rough. It's so bad, you guys. I think we've already done a pretty good job of warning you that this is a very sad documentary. But this one is like Dear Zachary level <sighs> sad
1: if you had told me that it was because that is my ultimate, like that one is like ingrained in my DNA. I I think about it pops up and I'm like, no, not dear Zachary. If you had told me that this would affect me on a dear Zachary level, I would have like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Just not watched it before bed. I, I'll say that much.
0: Yeah. Dear Zachary is such a touchstone for stuff like that.
1: Yeah. If I could take any documentary I've watched back, it would be dear, dear Zachary. Yeah. It, fucks you up
0: the only difference here is there's not that like gut punch in the middle like there is with dear zachary because dear zachary starts sad and then just against all odds gets so much sadder i remember
1: screaming in my room watching that like no
0: yeah it's really bad this you at least it starts sad and it stays that way the whole time Yeah, It doesn't, like, that initial shock, it doesn't get, like, worse after that, which is good, I guess, if that's one way to put (sighs) it.
1: (laughs) It's the kind of thing where I'm like, this feels as sad as Dear, like, watching I was like, this feels quite as sad as Dear Zachary. Am I crazy? And then by the end, I'm like, it is as sad as Dear Zachary. I hate this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a bummer. And it, like, right from the get-go, it opens with... A bunch of different 911 calls about someone driving erratically with kids in the car. And then there's a text blurb right up top that tells you what happened. And this is that blurb verbatim. On Sunday, July twenty sixth, 2009, Diane Schuler drove the wrong way on the Taconic Parkway for almost two miles, crashing and killing eight people, herself, her daughter, three nieces, and All three people in the oncoming vehicle.
1: It's so much, you guys. What they don't mention
0: there is there was a survivor. Her son, Brian, was also in the car and he survived. But oh, man, I bet that has been a rough upbringing for him. He was pretty young when this happened. Yeah. And this was about 13, 14 years ago. So he's he's probably just hitting his late teens, early 20s.
1: Oh, my God. I hope he's doing okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. So Jay Shuler, she's one of the main family members interviewed in this. She's Diane's sister-in-law. She's the first family member interviewed. She's watching surveillance video of Diane Shuler at a gas station. That is what's so weird about this. Is like we'll we'll get into more of the details as we go along. But basically, Diane Schuler leaves a campground at like nine thirty in the morning. Yep. By all accounts, completely sober with a bunch of kids in tow. Which that part makes me never doubt that she was actually sober when she left. Like I don't care how unhinged this family seems at times. I don't think anyone in that family would have let her drive home with all those kids if she was drunk. Because her husband took the dog and the laundry. Like, you send that with the drunk person and also (laughs) take that dog, get that dog away from them. Like, you send them home with the laundry and you put the kids in the car with the sober person. So I don't think she was hammered when she left. But
1: Hopefully not.
0: And in this video, there's a couple different videos of her where she looks perfectly normal like she doesn't look hammered she's not stumbling no one who talked to her said she smelled like alcohol and like that carries on until like close to 11 a.m and then by like 1 p.m she's drunk and going the wrong way on the taconic parkway it's like what the fuck happened
1: yeah a lot happened between point a and b
0: the funeral scenes early on are devastating
1: oh i was already crying
0: yeah. Like that wail that goes up from the crowd when they're giving the eulogy. Ooh. Because again, these are kids. Like Schuller's three nieces were all I think under 12. Yep. Like I, I don't think anyone was there were no teens in the car. No. And these were children so five days after that funeral that they show in the beginning of the documentary the toxicology results come out and diane Schuler had a blood alcohol content of 0.19 percent that's a
1: lot and the legal limit is 0.08
0: yes so she was double and then some the yeah. legal limit which don't do that don't drive when you're that drunk people. She also had a bunch of THC in her system, which that's fine. You can drive with weed in your system.
1: It's a lie, (laughs) the police say.
0: No, you can't, according (laughs) to the
1: cops. Put the pipe down.
0: So she definitely was not in good driving shape by the time this incident happens. She also still had unprocessed alcohol in her stomach, which means she was like, literally drinking and driving. Yeah. Which, don't do that. Also, don't do that.
1: Yeah. No road sodas, guys. It's just a cute name. It's not a thing you should ever drink.
0: Yeah. No Cargaritas. Oh,
1: my God. (laughs) One of
0: my other podcast co-hosts used to get uh, Mountain Dew Baja Blast from the Taco Bell drive-thru and put tequila in it and then would drive with that in their car and they called it a Cargarita. Oh, Don't do that. Don't do any of this. None of these things. So the family holds a press conference and they say Diane wasn't a drinker and would never do anything to jeopardize those children, which again, you want to believe them, but you kind of don't, you know,
1: I at least hope the second part is true. I at least hope she would never want to harm the kids. Right. And this is
0: where the family lawyer points out that this should have been a 35 minute drive and it ended up taking 4 hours which i think kind of plays in to what happens but is also is that because of all
1: the stops that she had to make and then traffic and yeah, what some, else
0: some of it would definitely be the stops but even then she only stopped at McDonald's and to get gas or at a gas station yeah so then, you know, then you're adding what, like forty five minutes, maybe an hour.
1: Yeah. Well, she let the kids play at the play place. That's got to be eat like a a half hour to forty five minutes.
0: Right. Which, again, by all accounts, perfectly normal when she was yeah. at that McDonald's. And so they interview this family lawyer. I I get that he's the family lawyer and he's trying to be supportive, but he felt a little little bit like an enabler. Like he I definitely wasn't doing anything to dissuade this family from not believing the science, I guess.
1: Yeah, he was a fucking weirdo. Am I mistaken? Did I see a picture of him with Michael Imperioli in his Sopranos days as Christopher Moltisanti? Okay, I'm glad. Uh, Okay, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, why are we bringing this? I mean- Listen. presented
0: with zero explanation.
1: Zero. But also a lot of the people in this documentary easily could have been like day players on the Sopranos. Just going to throw that out there.
0: Yeah, this is this is New Jersey. So they are they are pretty Italian. Yeah. Especially Daniel Schuler, who is the husband of Diane Schuler. And uh they keep bringing up her relationship with her mother, which I thought that part was kind of weird.
1: I think it makes sense. And I think at first you're kind of like, okay, who cares? But because this is about grief, it is as much about grief as it is. What happens when you don't address trauma and how that can spiral out other parts of your life, make you compartmentalize, make you just not take care of yourself because you're just not listening to what's going on with your body and a lot of times these pains that come up in your body are a result of just fucking trauma with nowhere to go yeah and they do kind of hint
0: that it might have something to do with why no one knew what kind of pain she was in yeah like if she was capable of keeping this secret about her mom which it seems like even her husband didn't He didn't know shit. Really know what happened with Diane Schuler's mom, which is that we find out she just straight up abandoned the family and ran off with the neighbor.
1: The neighbor, yeah.
0: And like no one who was close to Diane really knew that, which would speak to her also if she had like a really bad tooth infection. Maybe she also wouldn't say anything to anyone about it, which, uh, I mean, understandable. But then this happens and everyone's like, what the fuck, Diane? We need answers.
1: And she's not there to give them.
0: Yeah. There's no answers. There are no answers coming.
1: Yeah. If this is not about like what happens, the worst case scenario, if you don't go to therapy or put your kids in therapy for like really crazy events, like this is that documentary.
0: Yeah. So the day of the crash- The family was on a camping trip that weekend. By all accounts, it was a normal weekend. They weren't like drinking excessively or partying excessively. They had a bunch of kids with them. And again, this is where I have it in the notes, but I really don't think this family would have let her drive drunk with these kids. I don't think she was drunk when she left the campground. And also, one of the kids who dies in the crash. Emma Hance, who is the daughter of Warren Hance, who is Diane's brother. She called him, she called her dad around 9 a.m. and everything was good. There was nothing weird Going on. The woman who runs the campground confirms Diane was sober at this point. So everything seems normal. Daniel leaves in his car with the family dog and the laundry. He makes it home in the expected amount of time without incident. Diane was going to stop at a McDonald's to get breakfast for the kids and also had to get gas. And even then, Everything seems normal. She pulls into the McDonald's at 9:56, looks normal on video. She's not stumbling around, no one noted that she smelled of alcohol or was slurring her words or anything. There's another video of her at 10:46. That's when she pulls into a gas station and asks if they have pain meds. Again, looks perfectly normal, nothing out of sorts. So whatever happened happened in the span of about Two hours because I think the crash happened at 30
1: Yeah. Here's another thing that just popped up. You know people that like it seems like they can drink quite a bit and they just are normal. It it doesn't seem to really mess with any of their functioning. And then they do that one drink that really does them in. I wonder, cause she was such a composed person. Everyone said she was like a boss babe, like, you know, get shit done, constantly like spinning her wheels, spinning plates all over the place. I kind of wonder if maybe she was getting pretty sloshed, but was just holding it together until she could not hold it together.
0: Yeah, that's possible also. And she was drinking vodka, which they say vodka doesn't have a smell, but you can smell it. The, yes,
1: you could smell it, guys.
0: You, you can smell it a little bit.
1: Once that shit metabolizes, you can definitely smell it.
0: Yeah, you can smell it coming out of your pores if you drink yeah. enough of it.
1: So yeah, it's possible. But if she was like a
0: legitimate alcoholic, the family at least paints her as a high functioning alcoholic because she did have kids to take care of. She was apparently very good at her job. She made more than $100,000 a year, which I imagine 2009 in that part of the country probably went pretty far. Bank. So she's doing all right. She's keeping it together. So yeah, if she was an alcoholic, she was definitely a secret yeah. alcoholic. And so ugh, they show Brian Schuler in this a whole lot.
1: The, the and little it's, guy.
0: Oh, it's such a bummer. Yeah, I really, really hope that guy is okay now. Because- He not only like they, one way they put it at one point is he like lost all the women in his life like that, like Thanos snapped. And all he remembers is mommy's head hurt and that she couldn't see. And then he flew out of the car like Superman. Yeah. They found him under a pile of dead kids.
1: Dude. Woof. I hope his brain erased all that. And I hope he Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like I've never hoped for just like a little bit of head trauma so much in my oh, life. And
1: he got that poor thing. Yeah, yes. But like he had to like relearn like occupational skills. I hope
0: it got the part that contained the memories of this. Because yeah. those are almost kind of detail. I mean, it would be great to have those questions answered, but like not at the expense of this kid.
1: No, and you're five, like you're barely sentient when you're five. I I didn't know what was going on when I was five. I live like bits and mem- bits and pieces of it, but... Yeah. On
0: top of losing all those people at once, he also has to live with knowing his mom did it. Yeah. Like, that's going to be tough. So, yeah, Jackie and Warren Hance refused to take part in this documentary, which is very understandable.
1: Yeah, they lost all all of their children right why would they want to talk about this
0: not only that but they lost all their children and then the other half of the family goes like hardcore into denial mode and is like no she wasn't drunk something else happened and everyone else is just like come on like you know better
1: that's grief though
0: Yeah. They do interview the family of the people in the other car. That's all very sad. Michael Bastardi, he was 81. He was in the car with his son, Guy, who was 49. And family friend, Dan Longo, 74. So back to this crash. At 11.37 a.m. that day, Diane calls her sister-in-law because they're running late. And the nieces have play practice that day. In a Apparently here, she still sounds mostly normal because it doesn't seem like anyone swung into action over this phone call, if I recall. But if you're
1: also not looking for that, you're not going to be like, I don't know if if that's not a thing you're expecting from her. Why are you going to assume that she's like sloshed, you know?
0: And what's crazy is it goes from that, which is 1137 AM to 23 minutes later, right around noon, a witness that they interview, a guy named Gerald Salerno, he sees her driving erratically at noon or right around noon. So somewhere in that short span of time, something happened. But he also, he said she's driving erratically, but that she was also really precise about it. She wasn't swerving when she was in the lanes. She was just driving aggressively and like Uh tailgating people, honking, flashing her lights, but doing it all pretty precisely, which makes me think she was uh, in a hurry. She was in pain. Yeah. And so at 1213 PM, witnesses report that she's driving even more aggressive. This part makes me a little upset. One witness almost gets chased off into this rest stop area by Diane Schuler. And Diane Schuler follows them into the rest area, but they go to the car section and she goes to the truck section, and they said it looked like she got out and vomited and like was bent over with her hands on her knees and like if you saw kids in that car and saw that woman get out and vomit you got to go
1: check. I don't know. Yeah, you gotta, aren't these the people that said that they saw the kids heads like swing in the back from how erratic she was driving? Or is that a different couple?
0: See, I don't remember because they interviewed two couples who ta- or two people who talk about this. There's the couple who went into the rest stop area. And then there's the guy who which he kind of put it in my head. He was like, oh, if I had seen that, I would have confronted her for sure, because I think he's the one maybe that saw kids in the car. So I don't want to jump to conclusions. I don't recall if that woman who saw her throwing up also saw kids. But if she did, I mean, it's not her fault that this happened. But say something next time, for the love of God.
1: It makes me definitely want to be on a better lookout for that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. So the Shuler family, again, is adamant that Diane Shuler was not drunk and that Something medical had to have happened while she was driving. And you want to believe that, but then they interview one of the people who was actually at the scene of the crash, and they found a big-ass bottle of vodka in that car. Yep. Which, that's an unfortunate detail for the family. Like if That was
1: not even her car. She was borrowing that from her brother Warren. That was right. the, the three daughters' dad's car.
0: Ooh, what if it was his booze? But I don't think <gasps> it was, because- no. Daniel Schuler like explicitly said that they had a bottle of booze that they just kept there, and he was like, "I don't know how it got to the van." And it's like, eh.
1: Diane took it to the van.
0: Yeah, unless it was Dad's, that would that would suck. Yeah. But I don't think so. They don't. I think they would have probably at least implied that. And yeah, for the family, that's a really tough detail to overcome, especially when you couple it with the fact that she had unprocessed alcohol in her stomach. Like she was clearly drinking. Yeah. Like, obviously. They bring in someone to do a forensic psychiatric autopsy.
1: I still am unclear on how and why.
0: Yeah, I it seemed like he was just there to like tell the family they were wrong about yeah. what they were saying because, so get in like, line, Bud Daniel really makes some leaps when he's talking to this guy because he's like, "Well, what if what if it was a stroke? Like an abscess tooth that could cause a stroke, right?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, but we would like see signs of a stroke." Yeah. And he goes, "Okay, but if she had a stroke, then she might have." Or no, the guy goes, well, what about the bottle of vodka? And Daniel Schuler says something like, well, if she had a stroke, maybe she would have mistaken the vodka for water. And it's like, man, you are reaching, dude.
1: Really reaching. Like it was, I, that was hard to watch. Yeah.
0: Like, I can, I can sympathize. I understand the grief this guy's going through. But, I mean, I don't understand the specific grief. Holy shit. This is a yeah. very, very specific like a- kind of thing.
1: A combo move of both denial and bargaining stages of grief right there. Yeah, it's not pretty. Yeah. And
0: yeah, this guy talks about how, you know, when a family member's being demonized, that's kind of the reaction, at least sometimes, is to go like really hard in the opposite direction and paint them as this complete saint. And that's what Daniel's doing. He's like, she never drank. I know she never drank. And we find out later they both drank she smoked weed yeah like he was like law enforcement of some sort
1: oh i never got his job is he
0: i believe so and i think it came up separate from the documentary like well why didn't he report her and uh he didn't have to like shit that just under the laws at the time he didn't have to i'm like fucking good i want people turning in their fucking yeah, spouses who does for smoking weed
1: know. puritans
0: <laughs> yeah it eventually comes out that they did drink like, not necessarily alcoholic levels, but they did drink. And she did smoke a little bit of weed every day, it seems. But hey, who doesn't?
1: This is also New York 2013. Like, And Jay, the sister-in-law, makes a really big point of being like, well, she would do it. Only at night, if she had to, if she was having trouble sleeping, and only after she would, you know, took the kids in, did all her stuff, all this and that.
0: I have my suspicions. Diane had trouble sleeping most nights. Yeah. And here's the thing. So what? Smoke weed. Just ugh, don't yeah, do it I while do. you're driving with don't do five it. kids in the car.
1: Don't be cross faded in the car. No, no. Don't be any faded in the car.
0: So yeah, the family, meanwhile, is so convinced that they're right. They end up drumming up the money to get other toxicology tests done. And for one thing, the guy that they hire kind of like just swindles them out of their money for a little while.
1: Supposedly. Yeah,
0: that's what they claim. The filmmakers seem to kind of defend him because they do uh, this text explainer that says exactly what he spent his money on. But like even the family lawyer a little bit is like, I don't know. Normally that guy's cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The guy's name is Tom Ruskin. Apparently he had helped the family lawyer on some previous case. So the lawyer was like, well, well, this is the guy, you know, he's going to be tremendous to us. And then just kind of never to be heard from again until the doc came out.
0: And even then he tries to get a bunch of money out of the documentary people before he'll give up any of the test results or anything. That's like, that's ethical. Yeah. Sounds good. The guy
1: that went on Larry King Live with the family. Oh, he's concerned about like money and notoriety and stuff. Crazy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Whatever the case, the filmmaker manages to get some of Diane's medical records. This is where I think it gets interesting because one of the things they find is that she had a lot of dental issues. She was getting treatment for dental issues. In one case, the pain was so bad, she like walked out of the appointment, which I can't I can't fathom that because then it's just going to be that bad forever. When do you go back? What do you do? They also talk about her having an abscess tooth. And it seems like she had this abscess for a long, long time and just like didn't do anything to take care of it. You ever had an
1: abscess tooth? No. What even is that?
0: It's when your tooth gets infected to the point that like pus starts filling up in your tooth cavity area yeah yeah oh god it's super fucking painful it can cause all kinds of other things they are right it can cause a fucking seizure it can make its way to your heart and kill you that way. It's a very serious and very painful thing. And if she had an abscess tooth, I don't remember if they said seven weeks or seven months, but either way, that's a long time. Yeah. Very long time. And I think that tooth pain is the key here. Someone else brings up a similar theory near the end, but this is what I think happened. I think her tooth started acting up pretty early on in that trip, home. I think maybe when she stopped at McDonald's, maybe she bit into something at McDonald's or during breakfast that inflamed that tooth. Yeah. And we know that was like 945 in the morning because of the surveillance video. And then about an hour later, which would be, you know, enough time to eat and let the kids play and gather them up. She's at a gas station asking for a type of pain med that they didn't have, which may be like Ambisol, something like that. That you would yep. put on a tooth that hurts. We already know this was supposed to be a 35 minute drive. What I think happened is once she couldn't get the ambisol, her tooth was hurting so bad, I think she decided to drink to numb the pain. Thinking, well, it's a 35 minute drive. Yeah. Like by the time I get there, like it'll just be kind of kicking in and I'll just go take a nap or whatever and it'll be fine. But then there's that call about them being stuck in traffic. I think she drank banking on a 35 minute drive and then got stuck in traffic and was just blackout drunk eventually.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because eventually you're going to hit a point where if it's not numbing the pain, You're drunk, you're making bad decisions, so you drink a little more to see if that will numb the pain. And from there, who knows? But I think that might be what happened. Like, there's no way of knowing for sure, but I feel like that tooth might have something to do with it.
1: I mean, any sort of pain in your head? I mean, you've just dealt with this... In the last couple months, like, I know you didn't feel that needle most times, but when you felt it, was it the most, like, some of the most excruciating pain you've ever felt in your life? Like, what was going on? Yeah,
0: I haven't talked to you in a while. It was more the (laughs) surgery aftermath. Okay. That sucked. Like, the needle would sometimes hurt, but it would just kind of hurt, like, tooth pain and, like, mild tooth pain.
1: It wasn't, like, a deep jaw, head, like, numbing pain. No. Got it.
0: That pain happened after the surgery because, I mean, to get the needle out, they had to cut my face open Yeah, from the inside. And like a wound inside your mouth doesn't just heal. Like, no. Like, like that takes wet? steps <laughs> and care to get that to heal. I still can't open my mouth. All the way. There were moments like in the days after that surgery where the pain was just like all I could do was sit and like I could like watch TV. But even then, I was like gripping the edge of the couch (sighs) really tight and just like focusing on waiting for pain meds to kick in. So the pain would go away because I like I still haven't written on my sub since before the surgery because pain like that, like you think, well, it's not your hand. Why can't you write? It's like, I can't think.
1: Yeah, it's in your literal head. It's like two inches from your brain. It's
0: really bad. Really, really bad. And that's not with having a seven month old abscess yeah. in your mouth. Like, I mean, I've had. I don't know if I've ever had an actual abscess, but I mean, I've had an infected, tooth. Shit hurts.
1: Yeah. Imagine letting that just go fester, get worse, start the treatment, stop the treatment, need the treatment still. You're working this high paying job. You're taking care of all these kids. You're still trying to have a life and take care of your family.
0: Trying to get high every night.
1: Yeah. Just to not feel like you're in excruciating pain all the time. I just, I, I, if that's what she was dealing with, then of course it happened this way. Of course.
0: It seems like the most obvious answer to me. And it, yeah. it obviously doesn't make it right or okay. No, no. But at least in my head, it's kind of an explanation of why. Which it is a better explanation than, oh, I don't know, she got angry and wanted to kill a bunch of kids. Like I don't think it was that. Doesn't no, seem like it was not. that.
1: No, her mom walked out on her. She had this life mission to be the best super mom possible and never talked about her feelings or her past or anything. And it and it got the better of her, unfortunately. Yeah. And so back to the crash
0: at around 1 p.m. She calls Jackie Hans, who is the mother of the three girls in the van with her. And she sounds bad. The call lasts around two and a half minutes. And then her brother calls Jackie's husband, the father of the three girls in the van. He ends up on the phone with his oldest daughter and she is the one who says the magic words that give this documentary its title. There's something wrong with Aunt Diane. Oof. Like it's not just that these kids died this way, but clearly they knew. They were scared. Something bad was happening. Yeah. Which makes it so much more tragic. Like it's one thing you know, to be on like a fucking roller coaster. And it turns out you were seated wrong and you get beheaded at the end. Like that's, (laughs) that's just life coming at you fast. This was borderline torture for those kids. I bet.
1: Yeah. They have no control, zero control.
0: Yeah. And they're, they're like, they're getting on the phone and like trying to let people know that's. Something's wrong, but no one. This is 2009. It wasn't like, OK, well, drop me your location.
1: Yeah. No, find my. They These kids are like, I see a sign that says Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They also mentioned that she was saying she couldn't see. And yeah. this is how, you know, she was drunk. Yeah. Her brother tells her to just stay where she is and that he's going to come get her. Oh. Instead of doing that. She leaves her phone at the side of the road and gets back in the car. So now they can't even, like, track her phone if, you know, if doing it was even possible then. Because, I mean, I know, like, GPS was a thing, but I don't know if it was a thing that was necessarily in our phones that much in 2009.
1: Not as instantly and not... Well, no, not even. You had to have a landline to actually be tracked. Phones were not that sophisticated yet.
0: Yeah. And so... She leaves her phone on the bridge and then just starts driving all sorts of weird routes that are not consistent with her going home. Like if she was going home, she would have just gone across that bridge for one thing. But instead she like doubles back. And this is the part where like police, any investigator that's been hired, everyone is like, we don't know. We don't know where she went for like 20, 30 minutes, which is weird.
1: Yeah, that's like the Bermuda Triangle of the whole thing.
0: This is where they interview a friend of hers who talks about her holding her jaw a bunch in the weeks leading up to this. The documentary crew gets more of her dental records. This is where they kind of confirm that she had that abscess tooth. This is also where they talk about how private she was and how if she had that medical issue... It's not necessarily something the family would have known about because Diane was a very private person. I don't know how you keep tooth pain private. I certainly could not have kept what was happening in my face quiet. Like you would just hear me groaning if you were here at the right time. I mean, I guess if I wasn't married, then
1: I could have. <laughs> no wife to, to be like, ow.
0: Yeah, yeah. No one no one to hear me groan on my couch that's also
1: the thing is like her pain just got more and more (laughs) gradual you were you came home with like this terrible pain that was not there before
0: right and with hers it was probably a thing like this where it would come and go yeah and yeah if she like bit down on something and it just like started hurting depending on how bad it hurt that's gonna send people into a bit of a tailspin if you can't get it under control which is i don't know It seems like what happened. So back to the crash. 911 calls start coming in about how Diane is somewhere driving erratically with a bunch of kids. This is the one of the most harrowing moments in this documentary because you're hearing all these different family members like making phone calls to 911 like, hey, you got to find her. She is in bad shape with a car full of kids. One of the really sad twists, the mom, Jackie Hance, could not remember her license plate number. I know. And, oh, can I relate to that? Like anytime I'm ever asked for my license plate number, I'm like, what am I, a car? <laughs> Why do I need? That's my car's business, not mine. So I can, oh, I can sympathize with that. That yeah. sucks.
1: Guys, just learn it, though. Come up with a mnemonic device. Just come up with one.
0: Yeah, figure it out. Because, yeah, that probably would have helped. Because, again, all the witnesses say Diane was driving, like, aggressive, but not necessarily erratic. So, like, the cops weren't immediately going to see her swerving or anything like that. You would think one of the... Well, not even then, because it's not like there was anyone behind her when she was going the wrong way. So it's not like... Any one, any nine one one caller at that point could do anything.
1: No, it was just a matter of time before something bad happened at that point. And
0: so Diane's not answering her phone because she tossed it out the window and left it on the bridge. Police to this day are not sure how she made her way back to the Taconic Parkway. Like they've had independent investigators look into this. Police looked into it. No one knows because she didn't take her phone. So there's not that data. Yeah. And whatever 2009 car she was driving probably didn't have GPS in it. So who knows? But she ends up back at the Taconic Parkway, almost like kind of right back to where she started. i sure she was
1: so frustrated at that point, too. Just like, I just want to be home and not feeling anything.
0: Yeah, I imagine she might have pulled back off to like maybe find another place to get medicine or something to put on her, her
1: phone. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And just like got lost. Yeah. And so they bring in some doctors to talk about that blood alcohol content. Because that's, I mean, we all know 0.08 is the legal limit most places. So 0.19, that's twice the legal limit. But like, what does that mean? Like what in terms of physical effects does that mean? They mentioned that with all that unprocessed alcohol in her stomach, That was going to get in her bloodstream pretty quickly also. So her blood alcohol content would have started pushing like 0.23, 0.25, stuff like that. And that's the point where you start hallucinating and having seizures. Like she was drunk. Like she was put her in a jail cell. Make sure she doesn't lay on her back and let her sleep it off drunk. She wasn't
1: she wasn't driving buzzed. No, she was beyond. And she smoked weed. And
0: if she's not a regular weed smoker, that's going to make things so much worse.
1: Yeah.
0: And even if she is, I don't know if you know this about me, but I am a regular weed smoker. You? Yeah, crazy. (laughs) And even for me, there have still been times where I've been drunk and then smoked weed and immediately was like, shouldn't have done that. That Oh, yeah. That was a bad idea.
1: Sounds like a great idea when someone hands you the joint and then all of a sudden you're like, I need to go sit down.
0: Yeah. How close are we to the Hollywood Hotel? <laughs> I need a I need a bathroom that looks like an apartment right now. <laughs> and so they said she probably smoked weed about an hour before the crash. So at some point she just pulled over to get, hopefully, do you think she pulled over or just smoked with kids in the car? Who knows? I never
1: fucking know. So once she
0: finally gets on the Taconic Parkway going the wrong way, I can sort of see how in her mind she didn't think anything of it because it's a multiple lane highway yeah, and there's cars coming the other way and she's going her way and everyone's just, you know, passing. So to her, it probably just seemed like she was on a two way road, but she wasn't. Like people were dodging her the the way they describe her is that she was like so focused on what she was doing. Like everyone describes her as just like laser focused on where she's headed. And when other cars would come close, they would just veer out of the way. And she just didn't look at them, didn't make eye contact, just kept going laser focused, which I think does speak to her maybe not being able to see that well. Yeah. So in that way, like how many of those cars that were coming did she even see before they just pulled off and passed her? So to her, that probably in that state just looked like regular traffic. and She probably yeah. thought she was going the right way,
1: especially if she was already driving aggressively and, you know, trying to make people get out of her way. She's like, OK, well, great. People are just getting out of my way now until the truck with the guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They eventually she collides with that SUV carrying the three gentlemen we mentioned earlier, she apparently was going around 85 miles an hour oh when they made God. impact. So that anyone survived that is shocking.
1: Absolutely.
0: Like, I I don't know how that kid survived. That's that's I wonder nuts.
1: where he was sitting.
0: I mean, I assume he was just strapped in to the back of the car.
1: In the way back, yeah.
0: Ugh. I know. Yeah, cuz there's a minivan.
1: Maybe he went out the back, I don't know. Oof.
0: <sighs> so, yeah, the the crash happens, and then the filmmakers, I mean they're they're being obviously very patient with the Schuler family because it does start kind of getting to a point where everyone knows what happened, but just these two are not willing to admit it. Like they want it to be that she had a stroke or that she had, you know, some kind of medical thing, but she would not have gotten drunk like this. And it's like, yeah, she did. Like (laughs) she did. She got drunk. And so the filmmakers at one point bring in a separate medical examiner to look into Diane's medical records. And he tells him the autopsy was correct, like yeah. seems and this is where Daniel Schuler starts talking about well, if she had a stroke, maybe she mistook that vodka for water, it's like, dude, no no.
1: no think, if that's the case, then you don't drink that water quote unquote again,
0: yeah, and I've again being fresh off of some pretty severe tooth pain at no point was I like, oh, I know what I need, water, like water's. Bad. Like if you have tooth pain and you hit it with some fresh, cold water. Ouch. (laughs) No, that's that's how they test how bad your tooth is. Oh, God. In some cases, they will put cold water on it. So, yeah, in any other documentary, that line would have been funny, kind of. But in this, not really. But me and this pathologist are kind of on the same page. He also mentions that he could picture if this was a 35 minute drive, he could see her just pounding a bunch of vodka thinking, all right, I'll make it home and the tooth pain will subside and everything will be fine. He doesn't mention the traffic delay. I think that's what people are leaving out. I think like who knows her plan might have worked if not for that traffic delay delay who knows but yeah i agree with him that it was probably that she's probably numbing her tooth pain
1: i I mean it had to be yeah the then the heartbreaking part when he's like i because they're like well what if we like take the results to another lab and he's like i mean you could but i don't know that you'll find anything different and he's like i'm gonna like cry (laughs)
0: There are several moments in this that are hard to talk about in that way. I was just going to throw another one out, which I don't know if that would help you in this situation. But when they're interviewing the, the witnesses at the end and they're talking to that guy who found Brian but was... God, what a way to start this podcast. You guys, it sucks. Do not watch
1: this documentary. Trust us. You don't need this on your conscience.
0: Maybe don't. Because, yeah, he's talking about trying to revive one of the girls. And he goes, I just wanted her to wake up. And then he, like, just looks off camera and goes, she wouldn't wake up. Why did we start with there's something wrong with Aunt Diane? (laughs)
1: Because we're sick. Pick it up in your local red box today. Oh, you guys. Oh, you will. I, I needed several long hugs from my husband after this. I just walked into our office like, babe, that was terrible. Hold me.
0: Yeah. And it
1: like it's the kind
0: of thing you can watch it and get mad at these people if you want, because it just,
1: it doesn't they help. really
0: are dragging this situation out. In kind of an unpleasant way for everyone else involved, including their own family in a lot of cases. But again, this documentary, I don't know if we've said it. It's about grief more than anything else. And this is such a unique and infamous and historic kind of incident that like none of us know how we personally would react. Like you can have had death in your family. I've had death in my family Like a lot of people have, like no matter what you've been through, you haven't been through this.
1: No, they were approached six months after this to make this documentary. This was fresh. This was fresh when it came out.
0: Yeah. And yeah, you're you're really seeing them go through it and the whole time. You want them to be right like you want you so bad, do. And the thing is, there is a medical condition that can kind of cause what the family's talking about, which I didn't find out until years later. It's called auto brewery syndrome. And what happens is bacteria in your gut ferments and literally turns into alcohol. And you're just like home one day and all of a sudden you're hammered. And you're like, what the fuck? What happened? But it's very rare. And at least in the cases I read about, you don't get that drunk. You don't have... Like six ounces of unprocessed alcohol in your stomach, or whatever it was. Like she just she made a really bad choice. Yeah, and you know it. It like you see the family go through it, and you also have to take into account a thing we haven't mentioned. Like people, like they're one of the articles the family's reading early on in this is the people you'll meet in hell, uh. and Diane Schuler was on the list. Like I mean, in the eyes of. Most people who heard about this, she was just an irresponsible criminal who I think most people probably would have preferred to have survived so she could, you know, go to prison for her crimes. But that didn't happen. So it ended the way it ended. And this documentary is what we got out of it. And
1: it's really it's really more about how you just you don't know you don't know what these people are going through. They had to say all the stuff about her mom leaving, about how she was the only girl in her family. She had to take on that mom role. Even when the mom did want to reconnect years later, the, the brothers all had a relationship with her, but Diane held on to that resentment. She she didn't yeah. want that relationship. She was done.
0: Yeah. It's a heavy documentary. There's not much follow-up to it. Like no. the, the stuff about auto-brewery syndrome came out but i don't think anyone ever even tried to connect the two because that's clearly not what happened here like other than that these people aren't coming back true crime sucks
1: yeah yeah and this is i mean is this even categorized as crime i mean she was breaking the law by driving drunk but
0: yeah i mean it i think it counts
1: yeah accidental accidental true crime yeah i mean
0: she definitely committed a crime that's for sure. I think yeah. the fact that she died in the act of committing that crime makes it a little different, but still a crime.
1: Yeah. Fuck, dude.
0: And uh, yeah, somehow the next episode is way more lighthearted. And it's about <laughs> an <laughs> genocide that happened in Indonesia. Ay So uh, So I think we made it to the end of There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. See, this is, this is what we're saying. True crime is supposed to make you feel heavy
1: yeah you guys,
0: shouldn't, you shouldn't come out of a story like this no, <laughs> excited to do some internet sleuthing or anything no. like that.
1: All I want to know is that Brian is okay and I'm, I'm, I'm scared to look. I'm so scared to look
0: yeah yeah i I doubt he's i i I'm sure he's probably inherited some of that uh sense of privacy from his mom, God, I hope so in the years since this happened because yeah, he's gonna have to read all that shit on the internet about Diane Schuler too
1: but and, he's in he was in therapy at the time of the doc they made a big point of saying that
0: yeah yeah and at first he wasn't
1: he wasn't the, oh i was so mad at danny for saying that his son wasn't in, in therapy and that if he wanted to talk about it he would i was like fucking no make this child yeah. process this
0: yeah yeah i am glad they got him some help by the end yeah. of this Oof. and uh now me and cindy are off to go get some help after having watched this documentary
1: I'm going to smoke weed after this for sure.
0: Oh, I've been smoking (laughs) weed this whole time. (laughs) I got nowhere to be. So, Cindy, thank you so much for doing the first episode of True Crime Sucks with me. I promise next time you're on, we'll talk about something a little less devastating.
1: Yeah, I need a DZW next time. A Dear Zachary warning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There needs to be a dear Zachary badge that we put on episodes like this.
1: Yeah. Uh, Trust. Trust. You don't need to know <laughs> if you don't know.
0: Um, I don't know. I, I don't think we have anything to plug. This feels like a weird. I mean, you're listening to this podcast. It's a new podcast. Uh, Please like and subscribe and uh, don't cry.
1: Yeah. We're usually very. You know what? And we got some jokes in where we could. Yeah. We make a lot more jokes in our silly little lives normally. Follow us on all the things.
0: Yeah. Oh, I forgot. There is one line at the end.
1: Oh my God, do this.
0: <laughs> where they're here, we go. Where they're interviewing the witnesses to the crash, and one guy goes, uh, "There were people at the scene who were on the phone with nine It's like <laughs> you said that wrong, buddy. You meant nine one one, not nine eleven. Yeah, but, but
1: he was a New Yorker. We'll give him a pass.
0: Yeah, and it was a nice little light-hearted moment there at the end. I appreciated it. So yeah, that's our episode That's it uh, Thank you so much For listening Of course, <laughs> We do appreciate it Cindy, do you have anything to plug Before uh, we get
1: out here? If you don't already, follow me on all social medias At Cindy Arvina Jr. That's Jr. like in J-R And uh,
0: I think that's it
1: Let's get out of
0: here, Cindy Say goodbye Bye bye Goodbye everybody, we love you